Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Wakis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Hi, this is Henneka. I'm so glad you took the time to stop by today. In Jamaican parlance, Wagwan, Miglatsayadayo. This episode is sponsored by HennekeWatkesporter.com as well as the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Now on HennekeWatkesporter.com, you can visit us for blogs, resources, books, online podcast courses, podcasts, and more. If you are new to the Entrepreneur Liu podcast, be sure to check out past episodes with guests such as John Lee Dumas, Patrice Washington, Seth Godin, Richard Branson, Amy Porterfield, and a host of other game changers. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. And now, here's today's episode. I want to welcome you officially to the live taping of the 200th episode of The Entrepreneurial You Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Henneka Watkiss Porter. Today's guest is actually a repeat guest. He's an entrepreneur, best-selling author and speaker. And in addition to launching one of the most popular blogs in the world, he has written 19, and I think by now 20 best-selling books, including The Dip, Lynchpin, Proper Cow, Tribes, and What to Do When It's Your Turn. And it's always your turn. I love that. So one of his most recent book, This Is Marketing, was an instant bestseller in countries around the world. And today, we're here to talk about the practice shipping creative work. Though renowned for his writing and speaking Seth also founded two companies, Quiddo and Yo-Yo Dine, which was actually acquired by Yahoo. So that is so much to celebrate. In 2013, Seth was one of just three professionals inducted into the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame. In May 2018, he was inducted into the Marketing Hall of Fame as well. And he might be the only person in both. So we want to welcome, welcome Seth Goding for a second time on the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Before Seth comes in, I want you to take a listen at some of the questions and answers that we had earlier um, in the live interaction prior to Seth joining us, as well as I want you to kind of hang on to the end where we also have some more questions and some really live and engaging interactions um, going on. I also want to take this opportunity to say thank you very much to every single guest, every listener, every sponsor, every person that has had a part to play in the entrepreneurial you getting to 200 episodes. I applaud you. I commend you for 
being a part of my journey, for sticking with me. Some of you have been with me from day one. Some of you, you're just joining on this journey and I so appreciate you. My heart is overwhelmed with gratitude right now. I cannot emphasize and express how truly grateful I am that I get to do this. I get to do this and that is big. It is big that I get to interact every single week. I get to sit behind a microphone and to share my voice, my opinion, and not just mine, but those and you know of the thought leaders that I bring on this show. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. I value you. And I want you to know how loved you are by me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I wonder um, with having done over 200 episodes, this is your 200 episodes, um, having done so much content and um, uh, how has it evolved over like from the first episode to now? How is your process um, evolved? Ah, that's a great question. So I kind of like, so I kind of don't even want to go back to like my first few episodes because sometimes I cringe just to listen to them and I don't know why. But I think once you've been doing something over, um, you know, you're doing it for 200 times, then um, chances are you're getting better at it. And I want to believe that I'm getting better. And so my processing, in, in, you know, though this system overall wouldn't have changed, how I look at things and, and, and how I think about how my my audience want to consume the content that would have shifted a bit. And so I, I pay a little more attention to that. You know, initially you just want to start and you just want to get things out. You know, you just want to ship the work. You just want to do the practice. But over time, you, you get a little more intentional. I just wondered for you, this is a, a monumental achievement, 200 episodes, so much that you've given to folks in the way of sharing information with them and interviewing amazing people. What has been the most rewarding part for you? Okay, thank you so much, April, for this question. And of course, there have been many, many rewarding experiences that I've had. And of course, one of the major ones is just talking to persons like yourself. So I recall our conversation on generosity and how that one lady was able to help your mom and that transform your life into you giving back to so many people right now and paying it forward. So that for me has been great. But another thing too is just recognizing my own resilience and the commitment to putting out content every single week, because even in a period and I wasn't a hundred percent, I was literally getting content out every single week because I had made that commitment and to see me honor that commitment, you know, because they say that commitment is, is what you do even when you, you, you the, the moment in which, and the mood in which you set it in has passed. And, and, you know, the novelty wears off because when I just started, it was, it was great. And, you know, I was excited and I still am, but there were days when it it wasn't as or it didn't feel as exciting and it didn't feel as, you know, I wanted to keep doing this, but I kept doing it nonetheless because I recognized a great my my why, you know, why it is I'm doing this and so on. And so I, I was able to um to keep going. Okay, congratulations, Henika, on um two hundred episodes. What would you say to an upcoming podcaster in terms of being consistent. I did a hundred YouTube live broadcasts last year and it was a challenge. So what advice would you give to create that sustainability as it relates to podcasting? 
always remember why you're doing it because your why and your and that is why your why has to be greater than you because when your why is greater than you when you don't feel like showing up you're going to show up anyway it, it sounds easy but it's very difficult to show up even when you don't feel like it and um and i know perhaps right now that seth you know, with all the technology, he perhaps don't feel like doing it anymore because guess what? The technology is, is, is just whatever. But he's here. He's showing up nonetheless. And so a testament to the practice. And Seth, welcome. I hope this is it for, for good. Crossed. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, loud and clear. <laughs> and it is not true that I don't feel like showing up at least right this minute. This is the <laughs> thing I wanted to do more than anything today. I do this a lot. I am furious when someone builds a new kind of conferencing system that doesn't play by the rules because then I have to install things, reinstall things, uninstall things. But that's my problem, not your problem. Congratulations. I am so excited for you. I would not have missed this celebration for anything. Thank you, Seth. And I'm so honored because this is your second appearance on the Entrepreneurial You. So I am truly honored. And I, I believe you you see it as value. And that is why you are appearing a second time. And I remember you giving congratulatory message um, when I reached 100 episode. And here you are. I want to have doubled that. So thank you very much. Yeah, well... I think what matters is that you matter and that your impact matters. And if I can applaud you and encourage you along the way, I'm happy to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I genuinely get the sense from you all the time, you know, when I watch you and every interaction that we've had, that you're really genuinely concerned about person's growth and want to see them go forward. And we could segue into the questions that I want to start with right now, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to a little tradition. So I, I've actually done an introduction of you uh, uh, um, before. I heard and, yeah. Yes. And welcome to you and all of that. So I'm going to go back to something I want to go to because, and importantly too, you mentioned Bob Marley in your book and and this is quite fitting which I always ask my guests something about Jamaica so my question to you right now Seth is what is the most Jamaican thing you've ever done <laughs> <laughs> oh on a good day I don't, uh-huh. I don't take myself too seriously there's something about Jamaicans and our culture and you know we kind of no problem man you know that's that's the thing everything airy yeah no problem man when I think about you, I hear three words that come to mind that embodies who you are as a person, creativity, generosity, and ruckus. What do these terms mean to you? Why are they so important to you, Seth? So we'll do the most important one first, which is generosity. We don't live on separate planets. We live on one planet together. And when we enable people around us, open a door for them, hold the door open, encourage them, everything gets better. It gets better for them. It gets better for the people they help. And ultimately it comes around. So we need to act like we're living on the place we want to live and leave it better than we found it. The second one was creativity. Creativity is not art or painting. Uh, Akimbo, the company I started that's now a B Corp, is launching the Creatives Workshop today. And people get confused about the word creative. Creative doesn't mean a hobby or a craft. Creative means solving an interesting problem. It means doing something that might not work. It means doing something generous. It means doing something where we're not just following the instructions. And if you don't do creative work, then you're going to get replaced by someone cheaper than you. But if you do creative work, you have to ship it into the world, see what works and amplify that, which is my definition of making a ruckus. Making a ruckus is not making a noise. It's not being a troll. It's not stealing or taking or hassling. 
Making a ruckus means showing up with generous creativity. So now we are going to just go right into the book, The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. So first of all, congrats on this. Is a, I know this is going to be like your 21st bestseller. In- Only 20 bestsellers, but it's nice. I'm not complaining. <laughs> nice i'll take it it's nice i won't complain either i actually read it and went through it and to be honest with you because you know i know i know that you you're 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 big enough and you can take it so when i picked up the book i said to myself okay based on how it's written i said to myself if henica watkins porter perhaps wrote this book then perhaps people would have just ignored it but it's seth godin and seth godin can do whatever he wants because he's seth godin well not really but um, I like the way that he, you know, having read it and gone through it in, in its entirety, you just kind of added some nuggets, right? Some short nuggets talking about different things and how they help in the whole process of creativity. And you've actually, for me, I think, debunk my whole idea of creativity. And when we think about creativity, we only think about, you know, we think in general of the orange industry and, you know, and how big an industry it is and what does it mean to be creative and all of that. But this kind of um, debunk it. Why the practice? What What's the idea behind the practice? Well, anyone could have written this book, but no one else did. And that's what it's about. That's what the book is about. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the same typewriter. Everyone has the same access to the internet. Everyone could have published this as a PDF or put it on Medium. And no one did. Because you need to figure out how to do something that rhymes with what came before, but isn't what came before. And when I started talking about the ideas in this book three years ago, people said I was foolish. They said I was wrong. They didn't like the way I talked about this or the other thing. They wanted a place to hide. Um, Trafficking in things that isn't obvious is challenging because we live in a world where you're rewarded for doing the obvious. And um, so my goal here is to help people see that there's a discipline. They can be a professional. They can have a practice. There's nothing holding them back but them. And that doesn't mean I don't have privilege. Of course I do. It doesn't mean I don't have ridiculous, unfair advantages. Of course I do. But what it means is right here, right now, the best way forward for anybody is to do work that matters for people who care. To do work that matters for people who care. I like what you said, um, and I'm going to read the first part of Trust Yourself. The practice is not the means to the output. It's not the means to the end. Well, I'm just putting that part in. The practice is the output because the practice is all we can control. That's right, because everyone, everything else is just pick me. Everything else is I hope I get lucky, right? That... The practice is I got out of bed, I put on my uniform, I chopped the wood, I carried the water, I did the work. Anything that happens beyond that is out of my control and I'm not going to waste one minute. Thinking. So I'm glad you talked about Pick Me because previous to um, to this session starting, I actually, we, we were all watching a video, an eight minute video clip on you talking about, um, you know, pick yourself. And I think that is so empowering because many times we are waiting for people to um, affirm us and confirm us. But picking yourself is just, to me, just so powerful. Just expound a little on that, Seth. What does it really mean to pick yourself? And and, and I'm going to tie that to some part in your book that says um, credentialing. Credentialing is a roadblock. I love that because we have, to, I mean, of course, if you're a lawyer, as you mentioned in the book, a lawyer or a, um, a doctor, you need to have credentials. But other than that, credential is really a roadblock. So talk a little more about picking yourself. So the original 
title for the book was Trust Yourself. And I even have a hat. I lost it. Um, trust yourself because if you can't trust yourself, who can you trust? And when we talk to ourselves or trust ourselves, who's doing the talking or the trusting and who is the self? There's a voice in our head that we have been ignoring, that we push away, that we deny, that we criticize. That voice has an instinct. It has an understanding. It has a belief set. And if we need the gatekeeper to see the voice and to acknowledge it, we're never going to get picked. We have to begin by believing that we have something to say. And the reason that this is hard is that the first time you rode a bicycle, you fell off it. And the first time you tried to walk, you fell down. And the first time you tried to juggle, you dropped all the balls. And the first time you tried to cook, you burned everything. It never works at the beginning. That's why it's a skill. Skill is something that we can choose. It's something we can learn. And you can't learn it unless you trust yourself and pick yourself. And then you can go through the difficult process of cycling and cycling and cycling. It's easy for somebody to say, you can do X, Y, or Z because you're Seth. But they weren't around when I got 800 rejection letters in a row and was eating black beans and rice every day because hmm. I wasn't Seth. And when my blog started, the first 200 posts had fewer than 100 readers. Every blog starts with fewer than 100 readers. Every podcast starts with fewer than 100 listeners. That's the only way it can start. All right. So and while you're engaging in the practice, you said you'll honor your potential and the support and kindness of everyone who came before you. That is telling me about paying it forward because sometimes I think we get the idea that, you know, I can do this all by myself. I don't need anyone. And so we don't pay tribute and honor to those who would have gone ahead of us and paved the way. How important do you find that is in the practice? Well, I think different people are going to have a different sort of practice. If we think about Catcher in the Rye and authors that need to go into a cabin, talk to no one, help no one, be nice to no one, and just be comfortable with finding their voice, that might work. Other people, and I'm one of them, every day I say, what would my mom and dad be proud of if I did this? And every day I say, what did all the people who opened the door for me, what do they need from me today? That's my fuel. Different people are going to find different fuel. But I believe there is an endless amount of enthusiasm and momentum and reserve if we just tap into the people who came before. And so what is kind of a roadmap to someone who is thinking, contemplating about, you know, getting to a practice, uh, shipping their creative work, getting to a space and place where they can be a Seth Godin, although there can never be a Seth Godin, another Seth Godin, right? Just in, in, in terms of argument's sake, what is that roadmap? What does it look like in terms of, you know, starting something and getting it to that point where everybody recognizes what they're doing? So the number of roadmaps in the world is close to infinite. First, you have to decide where you want to go. So if, you, if I said to you, how do I get to Kingston? Well, we can look in Google Maps. We can look in Bing. We can look in Rand McNally. Finding the map is pretty straightforward. The hard part is deciding to go to Kingston, committing to go to Kingston, saying, I'm going to get from here to there. And that's the thing we ignore because everyone's afraid of failing. Everyone says, show me the proof, all the steps, exactly the guarantee that I'm going to get from here to there. And that's not how it works. So, you know, Miles Davis was 
first and the one and only and we recorded the best-selling jazz album of its time in four days. No guarantees, right? When Bob Marley showed up and did the work he did, there was no model. There was no do it exactly like this, right? That Chris Blackwell helped, but it was Bob believing that the journey would be worth it. He didn't say, and then one day, 20 years after my death, people will still be playing my song at weddings. He just said, this is a practice, And I want to go there. And I'm not exactly sure what the road is like and whether the lights will be green, but I'm going there and I'm going to stick with the practice. I've I've heard someone said, Seth, that the journey is the reward. And sometimes we're looking on and we're we're, we're looking in other direction, having uh, without our blinkers. And so we're looking left and right and looking how others are accomplishing. How do you trust yourself? to continue on a path that eventually you will get to the destination, even if you have taken a different route. And I guess what I'm saying is in many cases, you probably won't get to the destination. Mm. You have to pick a path that you can live with, even if you don't get to the destination. Mm -hmm. You should not sacrifice who you are and what you believe in and the, the life that matters to you in exchange for some external validation. Because that leads to ruin. And instead, we can say, all right, it's important to me to be able to support my family. It's important for me to be able to make a cultural impact. In fact, I might even like to be rich. Okay, well, if you want to do those things that have external components, I would challenge you by saying, has anyone ever done it before? Has anyone ever gone down this path and gotten the things you're looking for? Because if the answer is no, then you're probably not going to get it either. So there are methods and there are processes that can be followed that lead us to where we want to go. So it's naive to say, I want to write whatever pops into my head and I want to sell as many books as J.K. Rowling. You don't get to have both. I have a friend who's a really respected science fiction author and he's uh, looking to have a bestseller with a capital B. And his agent looked at his book, which is really good, and said, I don't know how to make this a bestseller. And he was frustrated. And I said, well, here's the deal. You know how to write a book that will make the publisher and the agent thrilled. Go write that book if what you want is a bestseller, because that's the route to making a bestseller. If you want to write the book you want to write, write the book you want to write. But you can't command anybody else to pay you for it. I'm hearing two things from that. I'm going to come back to the point of authenticity. But you just talked about, you know, you can't do both. And as creatives, in the strictest definition of the word, we usually have a challenge selecting which is it that we need to um, focus on. Yep. Any insight on that? Any sense of direction for us? Because it it is sometimes for me very hard as well. Yeah, I think hobbies are underrated. I love hobbies. You should have hobbies. Hobbies should be authentic and genuine and exactly what you want them to be. And don't you dare try to get paid for your hobby. That's not what it's for. Your hobby is to express whatever you need to express right now. But when you show up in the marketplace and say, I'm going to trade what I do for money, now you are not working for you anymore. You are working for them. And you have to bring them what they were promised. And you don't get to be authentic. Mm -hmm. That when my friend Simon Mm -hmm. Sinek or I are having a bad day, we don't get on stage and go, I'm grumpy today. This is the authentic me. I'm not going to do a good job. No, we say, you paid me to be here. Here I am. This is what I promised. 
because professionals do what they promise. And back to the, the point of authenticity. So in your book, you talked about your customers and your people. They don't want authenticity. They want your consistent voice. What do you mean by that? Because we have been, um, you know, riding along the, the bandwagon of be authentic and be your authentic, you know, your, your authentic self. But what does that really mean? And, and what did you mean when you put that in your book? Well, here we are at episode 200, right? Are there any of the episodes you've ever done where you didn't really feel like doing an episode, but you went ahead because you promised? Hell yeah. <laughs> so... So tell me, Hanukkah, where's your authenticity there? Right? You didn't authentically, you, the most important thing in the world for you that day was not to make a podcast, but you did because you promised. That's about being consistent. That's about being a professional. And if you've ever had surgery or gone to a restaurant, you don't want the doctor to be authentic. and You don't want the chef to be authentic. You want them to be the best version of them because that's what you paid for. So show up as a pro, understand genre, understand the marketplace, do the reading, know what's come before. Because why will we pick you? We don't have to. We're going to pick the one that's good for us. There's a balancing act, balancing act between the magic of the authentic hobby. And I have hobbies. I love them. And the commercial obligation of being a professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't want the authentic, you know, that doctor being authentic because they may be having a bad day and pouring it all on you and you don't want that. I Point taken. Really get that. All right. So I want to ask, because we are coming almost to a close of our conversation, Seth, and I want to get from you. There, there are how many nuggets in here? Let me go back to it. 219 of them, such a random number. I don't even know why it's so random, but anyways, 219 of them. Which one for you, if you were in, uh, advising somebody who's just starting out in their practice, whatever the practice may be, and, and just so f- uh, for our listeners and those that are here with us, the practice is anything that you are supposed to be doing, really. Uh, which one would you, would, would you select from all the 219? And why 219, by the way? I love prime numbers. Okay. Prime, prime numbers are the best. Perfect squares are good, but prime numbers are mysterious and special. My advice is pretty simple and will be ignored by almost everyone. My advice is find a circle of four people. If you all read my book, that's fine. If you don't read my book, that's fine. And hold each other accountable for a month. Every day, four people. Mm-hmm. Build a practice. If you're not willing to do that, I can't help you. If you, <laughs> are, if you are willing to do that, you will discover things you could only imagine. I know some persons have been typing in the chat. Ingrid Riley from Kingston, saying Kingston, Jamaica here. I just love Seth and big up to Ingrid. Seth, let me just tell you that it was a conversation with Ingrid Riley that led to the entrepreneurial you. It was a radio show before and a conversation with her bred what we have today as an entrepreneur. Thank you, Ingrid. Yes, let's let's go and see what else, who else is here. Tracy says, um, wow, awesome. I may not be able to see all of them. As can I, I, can I tell you here. something? What, yes, go ahead. I haven't been to Jamaica in a very long time. But the last time I was in Jamaica, I was listening to the radio because I always listen to the radio when I'm traveling. And there's something that they do on the radio, which is what you're doing right now. They read off the comments that people, I love that. Okay. I, love it. I can you. listen to that all day long, even if it's not about what we just discussed. They're just like, you know, we just heard from Tracy and Kingston, and, the, and it just goes on and on and on. It's great. I love it. 
awesome sauce. That's how we stay with large boat here. You understand Pato, by the way, sir? You know any Pato? I have to use all my brain to just even understand <laughs> what you just said, but I could probably <laughs> keep up for a little while. Okay. All right. I won't, I won't pressure you that much. All right. So let's move back to um, the practice. And Monique asked a question. She's actually here with us. And she's an exec, Monique Russell. Let me give her full name. She's an executive communications coach. And her question is, how can the tools in the practice support those experiencing fear of social injustice and racism at work to dance with fear and creatively express themselves? So I'm not sure we have the seven hours I could spend on this, but I wrote a book before this called This is Marketing. Marketing is the stories we tell, the stories we live. Marketing accepts the fact, fair or unfair, that the person we are trying to communicate with has a different noise in their head than we do. Every single person has lived a different experience than we have. They have different fears and different desires. And we can't insist that they see the world the way we do. No one does. But in our society that is built on indoctrination and inequity, for too long, a group of people have had the benefit of the doubt and another group haven't. And that's not acceptable. The question is, how do we work with people to help them change their own minds? Because we can't change their mind, but they can change their mind. And it turns out we do it with experience more than we do it with words. That people do things and then believe them, not the other way around. And so how do we start down this path of living stories together so that people's experiences start to change their posture? Because this is not an intellectual argument. This is about belief and fear and desire and dignity. And it's long overdue. A lot of progress is happening, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. I wish I could tell you that there was a safe, easy, direct, fast way to go from where you are at work to where you deserve to be at work. But if there was, we would have found it. There isn't. What there is instead is the long arc of justice. What there is instead is the opportunity to create cycles where people start to see others in a more inclusive way and begin to give them the benefit of the doubt. And one way we do that is not by demanding authority, but by earning permission. And we do that by taking responsibility and giving away credit, creating a cycle of innovation that moves things forward. And there are many jobs where you're just not going to be able to do that, and that sucks, and it's wrong. And it might be that what it takes is enlightened organizations defeating unenlightened organizations for people to get the joke. But there is a moment in time that's happening right now that, again, has taken way too long to arrive. But we're going to have to dig in and patiently and persistently and consistently, while being impatient, figure out how to model these behaviors. Because it took a long time to create this problem, and unfortunately, we can't change it in one day. Okay. All right. Thank you, Seth. I want to um, to touch on something from this book, point 176. Transformation begins with genre. And you actually kind of alluded to that earlier, Seth. 
And I, I was drawn to it because you made reference to Sean Askinosi, who has incidentally has been a guest on this podcast as well, talking about the sweet treat of running a chocolate business. And you said that Sean Askinosi has changed the way millions of people grow, sell and eat fine chocolate. First, he began with a simple genre. This is a chocolate bar. Then, as one of the pioneers of the artisanal bean-to-bar movement, he extended it to, this is a handmade chocolate bar. Over the last decade, Sean and his daughter, Lauren, have grown his family chocolate business into a multi-million dollar enterprise. But the company has a number of surprising rules and principles at work. Direct trade, they personally meet every farmer who grow, um, grows their beans, Two, direct selling. They only sell directly to small companies that sell directly to the public. Open book management, number three, everyone on his team is involved. And fourthly, persistent and generous community presence. They support their growers as well as youth in their Missouri uh, community. Um, been to Missouri too many, many years ago. That was my first visit to the U.S., um, baptism by fire. It's worth noting, though, that there is no mistake in what he what he makes. Sean's chocolate holds its own in worldwide competitions. His pricing is in the right ballpark for luxury chocolate in Bean to Bar. His packaging, customer relations, delivery systems, they all fit the genre. Transformation begins with leverage. And you get leverage by beginning with genre. You know, I really thought this conversation was over. But then I saw this and I thought I really had to um, to go back there. Um, genre, because sometimes it seems as if we want to be all things to all people, right? But this is telling me otherwise, and that we should focus otherwise. What's the importance of that? All right. Well, first, a small treat for everybody. Okay, let's see it. <laughs> <clears throat> Sean's chocolate for everyone here. You can have a piece. Here's a piece for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, people freak out when I talk about genre because it sounds like generic. It sounds like the opposite of why they wanted to do creative work. It's not. The thing is, no one knows they like your podcast until they've listened to it. Nobody knows they like the book until they've read it. Nobody knows they're going to like the chocolate until they eat it. So we need to know what it rhymes with. We need to know what container it fits in. We need to understand what genre it's in. So if you say, this is a superhero movie, the kind of person who likes superhero movies is going to watch it. But if five minutes into it, it turns out to be, you know, a literary drama, they're going to stop watching it because you didn't match the genre and you need boundaries. So own it, own the genre, the box you fit in, and then go right to the edge of that and gradually expand it. And that's what Sean did. And a lot of the people I know who are frustrated entrepreneurs can't even tell me their genre. That's because they don't want to put themselves on the hook. Focus is what you're saying. And pick, get it right. Pick the smallest viable audience. Pick the mm -hmm. smallest group of people that would be enough. And then make a promise to them and to you. I'm here for you. Not you, not you, not you. You're not invited for you. And so if someone says, I like Hershey's, Sean says, enjoy your Hershey's. Because my chocolate costs four times as much. And the people who grew it get paid 10 times as much. I mean, he has this whole long list and it's more delicious. 
But if you like Hershey's, please buy Hershey's. It's not for you. Wow. What a fun time we've had. What a fun time we've had. Seth, I want to thank you so much. Seth Goding has been my second time guest as we celebrate, as we observe 200 episodes of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Thank you so much, Seth. I appreciate your generosity and your openness and your frankness and just, you know, being available to have this conversation with us. Keep leading. We need you. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you around. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode with Seth Goding, who's just inspired us to be creative, to pick a genre, to just focus on the things that, you know, the creative work that we're doing, the practice and just do it. I look forward to connecting with you next week, where, of course, I'll be doing a solo episode talking about 2020 year in review and what a year that was. In the meantime, remember that you can connect with me for all things podcasting, books, coaching, online course, etc., etc., etc. Just go to hennikawatkisporter.com and send me a WhatsApp message that comes from my phone. And of course, you know, I continue to leave with you a point of hope. And this week's point of hope is a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Proverbs 18 verse 16. What good. So I needed this, believe it or not, today, because I was in a very weird space yesterday. So it came um, divinely at a wonderful time. So thank you. This was good, Hanukkah. This is good. I loved it and enjoyed it. <laughs> and like Ingrid, you know, this was good for me too, just even as I'm um, d- diving deeper and shifting and pivoting for 2021, that viable audience is imperative. So this was like that extra push or that extra confirmation that, yeah, you're moving in the right direction. So. Thanks, Annika. So I'm having the Caribbean's first entrepreneur live summit. It's really a story-based interview style summit where Caribbean entrepreneurs are sharing their secrets, um, expertise, and how they are using that to win with books. And it's January 21 to 23. And you can go to entrepreneursecrets.com to sign up. Yes. Montserrat. I just want to say congratulations on 200 years. I years. 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 Oh my God, no. But maybe we'll, we'll, they'll figure it out and we'll all be around that long. Anyway, 200 episodes. But I was going to say, I remember the year when you began the, um, the show on radio and being part of that early evolution of it. So very happy that you stayed the, um, the course and that you are here. And like Ingrid was saying, what I love about Seth is that he he has stayed consistently who he who he is all through the years, all through the books. He hasn't changed his message. He's just continued to double down on that. And I think especially for Caribbean entrepreneurs where we have all these different ideas and things, it's really good to have him uh, remind us that focus is important.